This is Be Hoop Travels, the podcast. Greetings to everybody out there. Um, I hear that it's cold everywhere. I was watching the news, or maybe I got some sort of notification, but uh, yeah, it's cold everywhere. And even here in LA, the sun is out. The sun is out. It's making, you know, it's doing its normal Southern California thing, but it doesn't feel like a uh, LA winter. This is, I guess, my second winter being here. And it's cold. Like it's, it's out east, Midwest. There, there, there's, I mean, it's not okay. It's not exactly like that, right? It's not that like bone chilling, like the hawk ain't out there. If you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm, you know, you know what I'm talking about. So it's not like the hawk level cold. It's definitely windy. You definitely need some layers. And I think it was like 42 degrees. Um, but it didn't. I don't know. But also at the same time, I, I'm quite familiar with 42 degrees. And it didn't feel like 42 degrees. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to explain basically how it's shockingly cold but not cold at the same time but it's it's all relative right it's all relative you know i guess the overarching idea is that it's not supposed to be cold like this and or this cold anyway in southern california thankfully we have a listen one thing about we live in an older building and it we don't have ac we do have and you know that's because allegedly, and I use the word allegedly, because people like to pretend that um, you don't really need AC because we're so close to the water and the breeze and all that. That's not entirely true, but we have about four or five different air conditioning units. So we have remedied that problem with the units. But anyway, we have a heating. What I, what I wanted to say is that our, we do have heat and one interesting about our bedroom, we have heat. I have no idea where this heat is coming from. There's a button, like this kind of like ancient looking button, and it works. You turn it, and then our bedroom heats up. I don't see any heating vents. I thought maybe like, maybe it's coming from the ceiling. I have no idea. I would, I'm dying to know. Next time I see the, the super, I'm going to ask him, how in the world, like, how is it possible? <laughs> now, we, 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 there's a vent in the living room. We have heat in the living room. And like I said, it works fabulously. It works. It's consistent. No complaints whatsoever about the heat. But even sometimes during the summer, it's so chilly. Uh, it can be chilly that we turn on the heat, we crank on the heat. In fact, I remember in June, even toward the end of June, we were turning on the heat in the morning just because it was chilly. Now, I don't think that's the case. I, I do think that might distinguish where we are uh, out in Redondo, not too far from like Palos Verdes, Rentos Palos Verdes, uh, which is like one of my like favorite little places to go. Uh, I can talk about that another time. But yes, yes, uh, the heating works. So we have the heat. Um, so we got the heat cranked up. And I've been doing a little prepping for all my projects in school. And, you know, and I'm trying to be more productive about podcasting. I've, this is probably the third time I've attempted to record this podcast. I was doing the podcast on my walk and I listened to the Yellowstone podcast and the quality didn't sound good. I thought it was difficult to hear me. Um, and I posted it anyway, like, you know, it's up there, it's out there, it, it, it's done. I think, I think people can get the gist, but I don't think it's as pleasurable as a view listening experience as, you know, doing it in my house. But I think the, the real challenge, I think I could do it outside. Um, and I can even do it while I'm walking. It's just that, as I mentioned, it, it's fairly uncharacteristically windy. So I was getting a lot of we weed, <laughs> a lot of wind. There is there is a lot of weed around here. In fact, on my last walk, it's just you know it's people just sort of out in the park chilling, smoking weed, which is you know also 
I can't say uniquely a California thing anymore with, uh, you know, the increasing number of states that are decriminalizing marijuana and allowing people to smoke it. Although I don't think you're supposed to be smoking it in the park. I think there's some there's some decorum. But I did read the other day that people can smoke employees employers rather cannot fire employees for smoking weed on their break so if you need if you need a a a smoke break you can go and take your smoke break and you can come back you know reeking of marijuana and no one can say anything i was like wow this is this is a feel like a brave new world that uh we are embarking upon because i think you know places like California kind of start the trend. So I think we'll start to see more place, more states, which means uh, everybody's going to be smoking weed at work. <laughs> okay, so this, this podcast is going to be about New York City. And like I said, this is, you know, my like second or third attempt. And the, and the, the other thing that I want to say about doing a podcast for New York is particularly challenging because it's New York. It's New York. Really. The greatest city on the planet, in my opinion, really a a super dynamic place, a super complicated place. How can you whittle all of New York, the enormity of all the things that you could talk about, you know, with regard to your experiences and and the attractions and the the, the culture, you know, it's the culture is quite multilayered. How do you talk about that in one podcast? Well, the answer is you don't. It's not possible. And I don't know why I thought you could do that. But I think you can talk about parts of New York. You can talk about maybe, which is what I intend to do. We're going to talk about our experience in New York back in October. But you can talk about parts of things. But, you know, I don't know why I thought I needed to like have a comprehensive podcast about New York. Um, it's just not possible. Okay, so we'll get to New York. We'll get to New York shortly. There's just a couple other things. I do like to kind of shoot the breeze, if you will, about travel-related things that I think you need to know or that I would like to impart upon the people that are listening. And sometimes, you know, non-travel stuff creeps up in there, too. Uh, I hope you did enjoy the Yellowstone podcast. Again, I encourage everybody to go and experience our parks. They are and impeccable we we keep them in impeccable condition um there's always a ton to do there's much more to do in these parks than i ever imagined um i started going to these parks it was really stephanie planted the seed in my mind that we should go to these parks she's definitely the park enthusiast she's the person who loves to see mountains and she loves to see nature she's really encouraged by it so we've done we've done a number of trips you know we've jackson hole we've gone to grand teton we've gone to now we've gone to she's already been to yellowstone so this was the second time she's been to yellowstone this was my first time but yes please if you if you have questions if you don't quite get why you should do a vacation in the park Talk to me about it. I would love to talk to you about it. You can email me, brianrhooper at gmail.com or brian.hooper at fora.travel. Email me there. DM me, brian underscore the travel writer. Well, every word is separated by an underscore. Get at me. I'm here to talk to you about it. I have a wealth of enthusiasm and information that I could share with you. But since... Since Yellowstone, we've been to Palm Springs. I have my writer's residency for my Master of Fine Arts program, which I will be graduating. I am uh, I have a tentative graduate date that I have every intention of, of meeting coming up in June. Um, it's been it's been a beautiful ride. It's been I've, I've grown so much as an individual. Uh, I've grown so much as a writer. I feel like I have so much more to say and I can't I can't wait to share it. Uh, you know, the goal is to get your work published. And I feel like I've put together some remarkable work with regard to my fiction. I have two fiction projects that hopefully 
I could get both completed, but you know, that's a bit ambitious. I realize, you know, when I say it, I'm kind of like rolling my eyes because I know that's not really possible. But I, I should have a good chunk available, at least enough for me to put it out there and find the representation that I need and deserve and to find somebody to buy it. So I'll be laser focused on making that happen. And also, you know, of course, meeting all the other obligations that I'm required to do before I can cross the finish line in June uh, in Palm Springs. So we did spend our 10 days in Palm Springs. Palm Springs kind of feels like home. We've been there. This is our fourth time, I believe, that we've been to Palm Springs. And I'm always awed by Palm Springs as a space because it is so ruggedly beautiful the sunsets the sunsets are better la has great sunsets other places in the world that i've seen have have you know tremendous uh moving sunsets but there's something there's something about palm spring sunsets that are fa- that are my favorite i i really i really feel something spiritual witnessing the sunsets and, and and being being amongst its beauty so you have the mountains you have the desert the mountains are odd they're rugged if you get up close to them it's just it looks like a stack of rocks it's like a stack of rocks and then you have the palm trees no cactus no cacti i don't recall seeing any cactus but it's also bougie right this is a bougie place and it's also fascinating with regard to the the demographic you have a lot of ultra conservative retirees that end up living there and then you also have a thriving lgbtqia community which my understanding is that this community makes up the 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 majority um i guess with regard to sexual orientation and identity they're they're the majority it's a fun place the restaurant scene we always find a new restaurant and we're always impressed the the it's not going to let you down i can sorry for the break uh i'm recording on my phone and unfortunately when the phone rings it cuts off the recording and i haven't quite figured out how to do it so uh, hopefully I don't get any incoming calls. I typically, really nobody calls me, so we shouldn't have any more interruptions. But yes, with respect to Palm Springs, the the, the dining scene always comes through. Um, and there are a million, un, a million and one ways that I feel like you're able to relax in Palm Springs. And you also, and you're not, you're not that far from um, Joshua Tree, which is another uh, federal park. I don't recommend going in the summer just because it's you know notoriously hot um you know i've never experienced that kind of heat in my life just just picture it this way imagine someone blowing uh uh hair dryer right they're just putting a hair dryer in your face and it's like just think about like the wind or sort of the heat sort of whipping your face that's kind of what it feels like in the summer in palm springs but thankfully we we didn't have that the last time we went to Palm Springs because I don't think the it was like officially the summer. So uh, hopefully that'll be the case when we go back in June. But Palm Springs is always all that. And again, if you got questions, holler at me about it. Uh, the other thing I wanted to say, I'm still I'm still the travel advisor. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to give it the kind of attention that it deserves because essentially it's like starting a business and starting a business you know it's got to have that tlc you can't get around um you can't skimp on time and i do feel like because of all the other obligations that i have i'm only really able to do it on a limited basis but even in spite of the 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 time issue i've managed to send you know a dozen or so clients on trips and it's it's quite rewarding it's it's exactly the way that i felt it would be you know i'm an enthusiast obviously about travel but i also like to see other people travel i'd like to engage with people about 
travel and, and to hear about the places that they've been, the places that they want to go. I, it, it's, it's all very fun for me. And this job allows me to do all of that. So I've sent about, like I said, about a dozen folks. I do have a couple of bookings, um, pending bookings. But if you're wondering what a travel advisor does, you know, like what, what exactly are you a podcast? What, what, yeah. Or, you know, brothers got many jobs. But a travel advisor is basically a newfangled word for travel agent. But the the concept of the travel agent, because of the advent of the Internet, that just fell out of favor. Right. We didn't really people felt like they didn't need someone to book their personal trips when you can just go to the Internet. And I think that's a fair argument. And I could understand why some people might be apprehensive or not really interested in entertaining the idea of a travel advisor. So what we do is travel advisor. This is essentially those functions that you understand um, that are associated with the old concept of travel agent. But a travel advisor has almost, the way that I describe it, more of a concierge slash advocate slash subject market, sorry, subject matter uh, expert. So slash curator. We are in the business of creating experiences. We are in the business of, of, of listening to our clients and even hearing things that they might not expressly say. We take the guesswork, you know, it, it, it's, 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 it's really more of a personalized, tailored experience than what we knew about travel agents. Now, what's great, so the mother agency that I work for is called Fora. And what's great about Fora is that they handpick... Not everyone makes the cut. They handpick the people who are travel advisors and, and they want to see. Um, I, I think they might have perused my Instagram and, you know, you have to submit um, an explanation for why they should accept you. Uh, but they want to see people who are experienced with travel and they want to see people who are enthusiastic about it. And I think that's the big part of the criteria. But Fora provides me with a number of resources and affiliation and information that is not available to the average person perusing the internet to book a trip. The other thing is that because of these affiliations with vendors and hotels, we're able to secure perks for our clients. And, and also a tremendous value. We can bring a value to our clients, especially in the luxury realm where we're talking, you know, about eight, nine thousand dollar, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollar vacations at, at some of the finest properties on the planet. Now, I don't want to make it seem like I am only working with people with big budgets. I mean, of course, we have to talk about budget because, you know, uh, everything costs, you know, you know, because, you know, capitalism. But the idea of luxury, you know, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. But we can we can make your trip hot if you don't have a lot of money. We can find everybody deserves luxury. The concept with luxury is problematic because it's exclusive. It's about keeping people out making making things not accessible right it's this like elitist thing but i'm i'm here to challenge that uh because i think first of all everybody regardless of who you are and what you do you deserve luxury you deserve to be pampered you deserve to have uh, a pleasurable experience and like I said, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost money, but there are some affordable options. And I think another thing a lot of people who are who don't travel because they think it costs a lot of money, a lot of reason 
Well, I, I actually just <laughs> explained it. Yeah, they think it costs too much. Well, look, everything costs too much these days. I mean, inflation, inflation is a mother. Everything costs a lot. And I'm, people are off. People don't really get how much they spend on stuff, right? People have Starbucks addictions. You know, that's like a $10 a day habit. People have way too many sh- pairs of shoes or way, they spend way too much on, on Uber Eats. Um, so I, just, I, I challenge people to look at their spending habits and ask themselves is, if, if they spent less, would this create space for having the kind of luxury experiences that you really want to do? You really, everybody wants luxury. And, I, and like I said, we can find luxury at a number of price points. The travel industry understands that, too, because there are brands and, and vendors who get that there is a segment of the population that isn't able to spend, you know, 30, 40 K on a trip. 20 K. There are, you know, it's, there are people out there that can. Uh, but most people can't. And they get it because they're going to miss out on. This segment of the they want that that segment of the population's money too, so yes. And the, and the other thing I wanted to say, and, and while I'm on it, and while I'm on my soapbox, the I, the concept of luxury we really need to redefine it. We need to think about it differently because luxury isn't about what you can buy. Luxury is about what you're able to do with your time. Having unfettered access to your day, to your time, to me, that's the epitome of luxury right there. That is the height of what luxury is. Doing whatever you want to do, which is kind of the whole idea of like a vacation too. Um, But I I don't want to confuse you too much because I'm sort of confounding sort of different ideas. So you see, you get its nuance, right? This is some nuanced stuff. But luxury is about, you know, listen, you could be a doctor making $800,000, you know, putting people to sleep before they go into surgery. That's, that's a nice living that puts you squarely in the 1%. But guess what? You're working all the time. You don't have access to your time. In order for you to make that money, you got, you got to be down at the hospital 16, 17 hours a day sometimes away from your family, missing out on your children's milestones, not being able to be there for them in the way that you would like. But we all have to provide, we all have to make a living for ourselves and for our family. And that's why you're doing it. But that's, that, but that allows him to buy a lot of luxury things, but that's not real luxury. Because material things have diminishing value. All right, I said enough. <laughs> I'm gonna get off my soapbox, but I I, I want you to like mat- marinate. Let that marinate a little bit. Let that metabolize. Luxury is about your time, and everybody deserves luxury. So what we can do is we can make sure that your vacation or your getaway celebrates the spirit of of what we're talking about. Okay, so I think that's all I have to say. Oh, I'll I'll say one more thing about the travel advisor thing to give you an idea of what I do or to give you an example of what I've done for a client. Okay, so I had a client... That I sent, I actually sent two clients to the same luxury property, the Andaz in uh, Playa Papagayo in Guanacaste, Costa Rica. Uh, I've not stayed there. My wife has stayed there. I've never stayed at this particular property, but I am familiar with Guanacaste. It is my favorite region of Costa Rica. All of Costa Rica is fabulous. Don't, you know, I I have nothing but uh, glowing glowing reviews and every time that I've been it's been a positive experience now one sort of thing to say about Costa Rica it's it's not your Cancun okay it's not your 
Montego Bay or Punta Cana or Ocho Rios. And I think that's what makes it great. It is very pristine and it is committed to maintaining its uh, eco travel kind of reputation. That's why you go there because you want to have that kind of experience. So, uh, so, you know, they're not a bunch of like corporate owned restaurants that you typically see in sort of these, you know, resort cities, beach resort places. It's not any of that. Um, in fact, it doesn't seem like there's any new development. I mean, you see some residential development in some of these areas, but it's, 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 it's quite pristine. And, and again, here's, here's an idea that I like to tell people about Costa Rica. Costa Rica is tiny. Go look on the map. It's tiny. It's a tiny little sliver blip on the radar. Now, that's, you know, not indicative of, of its significance because it is a significant place. It's a beautiful place. But it has like 5% of the world's biodiversity. That is a disproportionate amount of the bio, biodiversity. So that's, that's the hype about Costa Rica is that you're going to be able to commune with nature and have kind of a tropical getaway, if you will, at the same time. But I sent the clients to, they didn't know where they wanted to go, so we had a consultation. They knew that they wanted to be near the beach. They wanted to relax. You know, your, your typical kind of beach vacation. But they didn't want to go to, like, the places that they've gone to a million times or the places that people uh, go. Now, that's not to say that Costa Rica isn't popular because the, uh, it's, it's risen in popularity. I think the first time I went was in 2002. So it's... It, it's, you know, really this travel darling. I think I kind of went at the beginning of it becoming um, the, 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 favored, the favorite travel destination. So anyway, they wanted, they wanted to do that. So we sat down and we talked about it. And I was like, I think this would be a good fit. You know, I listened to what they had to say. And I presented them with the idea told them about Costa Rica. They had an inkling about it, um, but they I don't think they necessarily saw themselves going there. But I felt like this is going to be a good fit. This is going to allow you to chill. And you don't want the dis- distractions of like, you know, the kind of nightclub and like I said, corporate rest- managed restaurant kind of foolishness that you can get. You know, no shade to those places. Like, you know, if you like that type of thing, that's cool. I do too, but I heard something different. I think they wanted something that was real peaceful. They really wanted to guarantee that there there would be a space that would allow them to unwind and, and to be romantic and to bond and to do to do excursions. So I sold them on the idea. Now, they told me this. They're like, we want to go like in two weeks. So I didn't have a real big window of opportunity or sort of time to plan. I had to get to work immediately. So I figured the best way to do it was to bundle their airfare to find sort of like an all sort of uh, package deal, right? Hotel and airfare. There are a number of vendors that are able to provide it, but I ended up going with Delta because I felt like they had a competitive price. Uh, the only con is that they were going to have to transfer planes in Atlanta, which is a bit of a hike. So the, the, the travel time getting there was going to be a little longer than flying directly from L.A. to, uh, in this case, Liberia, which is the airport in Guanacaste. But they were cool with it. Uh, because it, it made sense financially, even though they were spending six figures. This was like a $12,000 trip altogether. Another thing I wanted to say, I don't book airline. You're, none, none of us four folks, we don't really book airline by itself. The reason is we don't really make any money. Number two, it's difficult. It's kind of difficult to do. Um, and it's just not a good use of our time. Now, there are some exceptions. If you want to fly Emirates 
in, in, in first class or business class or something like that, then yes, that's something that we'd be able to do. But otherwise, we just tell people to find, um, because really, we, we're, we're not able to find anything cheaper than they could find online. Now, the other exception is, is that if you are doing one of these bundle type of things that I did for this uh, lovely and kind married couple that we met actually in Fiji, who happened to live here in South, Carol- uh, South Carolina, South California, Southern California, SoCal. We end up booking it. They decide they want to stay at the Andaz, um, and they go. And they have a spectacular time. Unfortunately, the the wife got sick while she was down there. I don't know. It wasn't COVID or anything like that. But there were a couple days where she was sick. But they said it was everything that they had dreamed of. It was the exact trip that they had envisioned for themselves. And even though they weren't able to, like, articulate it and they didn't necessarily have the vocabulary um, to express I'm not saying that they can't speak, but um, sometimes you don't have the words to express what it is that you see in your mind for something. And I think we all kind of understand that. And that's where my professionalism kicks in, right? It's picking up on the nonverbal stuff and and sort of getting to know your clients and, and, you know, what they're saying. Um, you You can kind of figure out the stuff that they need that they might not even you can in, you can figure out stuff that they need when they don't even see it themselves is really what i'm getting at but they reported they had a lovely time at the property and that they would indeed go back uh this also included transportation from the airport and i was glad because everything went swimmingly uh it was her birthday I worked with the husband to create a birthday celebration for her and to surprise her with, you know, cake and wine and all of that. So she got special recognition at the resort on her birthday. Everything went swimmingly. Now, it is stressful as a travel advisor because there, you know, 15 million moving parts. One one part can go wrong. And my goal my job is to make sure that that doesn't happen. And I take it personally if if something, even sometimes when things are out of your control, you take it personally because you feel that these, these clients have entrusted you with, you know, their trip, their money. They, they really trust you. And I don't want to violate that trust in any way. Now, there was one time, the other couple that went to Andaz, we had uh, a couple of challenges with some things that were out of my control, and I had to kind of work around that. But something that I feel like was kind of in my control was the transportation piece from the airport. Something happened with the transportation. I had set it up. I had confirmed it actually through the hotel. Someone should have been waiting there. If you've ever flown into liberia airport it's kind of overwhelming you get off the plane it's a small airport you get off the plane and there are you know maybe hundreds of transportation folks because it is in the middle of nowhere and it's quite spread out right it's not a densely populated place so to get to your resort you're driving probably 30 minutes to like an hour and a half well they get there and they can't find their guy. He's supposed to have a sign up with their name. He's, you know, they get there at six in the morning. Could you imagine you've been flying all day or all night and you finally get to your destination? And you just want to get to the hotel. You want to get in the hotel. You want to shower. You know, you, you, you probably have like airplane breath. You might be smelling a little ripe. You're just ready to freshen up and to relax and to start enjoying your vacation. But so imagine how you feel when you pull up and you're like, where my ride at? I thought he hooked up the ride. That's the first thing they're going to think, right? I thought Brian said someone was coming to pick me up. And in this case, I did. Now, I can't be in Costa Rica. You know, I'd like to be. I would have liked to have been. But there's not much I can do at six in the morning 
when they're in the airport, you know, a couple of thousand miles away, trying to find out their transportation. Thank God they're smart, intelligent, resourceful people, and they figured out how to get to the resort. Uh, but yeah, I had to, you know, apologize and, and find out what happened. And it turns out that the the guy got confused. I don't know how he got confused if he's picked people up a million times at this very small airport. Somehow he was confused about where they were, and it was just sort of a matter of them missing uh, one another. Okay, <laughs> I, I guess. I guess. So, yeah, so those those types of things happen. Um, but I'm saying all that to say is that, you know, it, it can be stressful as much as I enjoy it. It is it is stressful because you want to be thorough and thoughtful and use the utmost care to make sure these trips go without a hitch. So I I hope that this explanation allows you to see what it is that I do as a travel advisor. I hope you can hear. I hope I sound like a credible travel advisor. I hope I sound, you know, this is sort of up to, to, you know, the people that I talk to. I I think I do. I feel pretty confident about that. Um, But yeah, you know, this is what I do. I, I hope that. Um, if any of you are out there and you're trying to put together a trip, let me know and reach me at, uh, my email and, uh, Instagram. Okay. New York, big, bad New York city, the greatest city in the world. I think, I think we can all agree, right? I've been to Tokyo. I feel like Tokyo and I've not been to some of the other megatropolis, megatropoli in Asia, but I've been to Tokyo and I do think Tokyo rivals New York in terms of dynamicness. The only difference is that Tokyo and Japan is this homogenous society, right? It's this racially homogenous, racially and ethnically homogenous society. So everybody's Japanese. Well, we know in New York, that's not the case. You know, it's this big blend of, you know, culture. Like, it's it's ultra. So that that's the thing I feel like that makes New York stand apart. And, and why it rightfully and some people say London I don't know some people say London some people say Paris no shade to those places but but New York also is thanks to the the magic of movies uh, has become this place in our collective minds um, that kind of represents this part of the American dream like we have we romanticize in spite of its problems, we collectively, and when I say we, I'm talking about everybody in the world, we've all watched movies. We've all seen our favorite, some of our favorite movies with New York as its backdrop. So I feel like New York means something to everybody. And there's a part of all of us that want to experience it. Now, the people that don't like New York, I don't know. Like, are you, (laughs) what's wrong with your uh, sensory apparatus, if you will? I mean, there's some sort of like sensory defect. I'm not sure how you can go to New York and not feel, it's intimidating. Maybe if you, you know, have a penchant or... You're able to be intimidated or, or, or listen, I, I don't want to sound ableist because I feel like I'm getting into like this, this kind of ableist kind of talk. So I'm going to I'm going to stop because it's you know, that's not my intention. But New York is amazing. And I love going. 
I've been going for over 20 years. I think I might have been like maybe like 20 times. And every time it dazzles. I like who I am in New York. It's not to say that I don't like who I am anywhere else. But there's something about being there that makes me feel really good about, I feel, I feel young. I feel, I feel, gosh, what's, what's a way for me to say it? I don't know. I feel like to me, it represents this place that's full of possibility. So when you're there, you feel like anything can happen. I can go out and have this life changing experience today because the potential's there because this is a place where anything and everything happens, I guess, good and bad. And I like the way that it makes me feel. I feel that here sometimes in L.A., but I think it's different because in New York, you're you're walking. So on, in many ways, you feel the sense of like anonymity because you're one of, you know, the thousand people that you pass on the street. Nobody knows who you are. Nobody knows your name and nobody really cares. But at the same time, you feel connected to people. There's a sense of connectedness in spite of not knowing who anybody is around you in spite of this kind of, you know, I describe it as anonymity. You can always get good food in New York. I've never heard anybody say that they have a trouble finding food. There's always something to do in New York. Always something to see in New York. Always something to learn. Like, really, the, the, there's an exponential exponential amount of of fun and diversion that that you can have while you're in the big apple so anyway enough of my fanboy session about new york it's 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 dope it'll always be dope we flew from lax to very early, the first flight, the first Delta flight out of here is like six in the morning. We ended up getting to the city about 2.35. So, you know, that's right before traffic time. And if you, you know, L.A. is known for its traffic uh, and so is New York. So what that also means is that the demand for ride share is probably at its highest. Um, now, there are a number of ways that you can get. What's cool about the airports, Newark, LaGuardia, JFK, I've flown into all of them. You can get to the city on public transportation. It's more complicated. I did the, new, the Newark to the city thing, and it's, I swear I had to get on like three trains just to get to Newark, but it saved me a lot of money. And, it, and of course, the public transportation route is cheaper. Now, it's only going to work if you don't have a lot of luggage. If you've got a lot of luggage like we do, uh, it's not going to work. So if you're packing a lot, then you can, yeah, foreclose the possibility of doing. I mean, I've seen people try. You don't want to be that person that's on the subway with like six bags or the person on the bus. It, yeah. Do everybody a favor. And, and, and book you some transportation. And that's what we did. We bit the bullet, spent a small fortune. Because remember, oh, I didn't mention this. We didn't stay in Manhattan because Manhattan hotels, apparently they got together and decided they were going to price gouge everybody that week. So we didn't stay in Manhattan. We stayed, and I'm glad we did because I can't wait to tell you about the property. We stayed in Weehawken, New Jersey, which is right across from Manhattan. Now, that's not necessarily a good thing when you got to get from JFK to Weehawken uh, right at rush hour. You're going to be in the car for a long time and it's going to be expensive. But the hotel itself, I'll, I'll tell you the hotel. We stayed at the Autograph, which is a boutique 
hotel that's part of Marriott. Um, it's it's I would say people are like oh it's a luxury. I would say it's what people would define as luxury, but it's a it's it's a understated kind of luxury, right? It's not as uh, opulent as like a Ritz or a Waldorf Astoria, right? It's a boutique. It's a boutique hotel. Boutique hotels tend to be small and kind of specific. But this place was, like I said, the, the colors, the colors were even muted, uh, kind of like dark colors, dark woods, wood paneling, if you will. And I don't imagine the hotel had more than 100 rooms, but it was perfect. It was perfect for us. And the views, really, I think this is like a gem. This is a gem, a hidden gem. Stay at this hotel. If you like to see the view of Manhattan all the time, like wake up to it, go to breakfast. If you want to see, this is where you stay. And there's something, there's something magical about seeing every time, even though you'll, you'll see it a million times. You'll always feel... <clears throat> I don't know, some little like tingle. It always make you feel good to see the skyline, especially during the day. I'm sorry, especially at night, because you see the you see all the lights in the skyscrapers, and then you see the way that the lights are reflecting off of the water, and then you see like sort of the boats moving around. Fantastic. It's really it's really a satisfying thing to see. To get to Manhattan. And like I said, everything's going to cost you. And there are cheaper options. Uh, we didn't. We chose just not to take the cheaper option. You can take the bus into Manhattan, I believe, over to the Port Authority on 42nd Street. And then if you go further down into Jersey City, you can take the PATH train. Um, that will either get you to, I think, 34th Street via Exchange Place, I think. And then also to the World Trade Lower... Uh, Financial District, Lower Manhattan. Well, we didn't do that. We, there, right directly across from the hotel was the ferry station. We took the ferry every day into Manhattan. We didn't really hang out in Brooklyn and Queens this time, but we took the ferry into Manhattan. For the, we, we got like a pass that allowed us, you know, a trip, a round trip every day uh, into Manhattan. And I think it was about like 100 and some odd dollars a piece for the, you know, seven days that we were there. And it was a little on the expensive side. But it was so convenient. Easy. The easiest thing we did while we were there. The ferry shows up three times an hour. Get on the ferry. Sit there for eight minutes. And then it lets you off at the ferry dock, which is over there on West Side Highway, if you're familiar with Manhattan, on West Side Highway. Uh, I don't think it's too far from like Chelsea Pier, but I think there was like a carnival ship docked next to uh, the place. So there's a very busy port situation up and down the West Side Highway. And I think it's like right around the 50s. Uh, so, yeah, so that's where it lets you off. They also even offer a bus that will take you further into Manhattan. We didn't really figure that out initially because uh, we just ended up like Ubering or cabbing it to wherever we wanted to go. But you can take a bus to, I know, 34th Street. There are a couple of other locations that the bus will take you directly to, uh, which, is, which is really, I think, a nice thing. A really nice. Adds a lot of value to, to uh, the price. So what did we do in New York? I have to say this was more of a Harlem, upper Manhattan type of uptown experience. We avoided, I never saw Times Square. I don't really need to see Times Square again. It's, there's always too many people. Uh, It's always kind of a mess. Uh, And really... I feel like it's the least interesting thing about the city. I think it's, yeah. I don't know if people agree with me on that. I don't know. I don't know if I have a right to say that since I'm not 
from New York. Avoided that. We did end up in near 34th Street over there by like the Madison Square Garden, which is kind of it's just as sort of busy as over there at 42nd Street. Uh, but that was also to catch the bus back to the ferry. Um, but yeah, we, we hung out in Harlem. I, we did hit up Canal Street. We did, you know, find some dupes. Ain't nothing wrong with getting some dupes. And it was my wife's first dupe experience. So it was an honor to, uh, you know, be her Obi-Wan Kenobi over on Canal between is it between Broadway and Lexington. That's that's where all the dupe, the dupe goodness is there. But anyway, in Harlem, what did we do in Harlem? Went to my favorite noodle place, the hand pulled noodle over there on Broadway in about 143rd or 4th Street. Best noodles ever. You can't I haven't had noodles this good. I've been to Asia. No shade to Asia. But these are these these noodles are always wide and thick and hot and seasoned to perfection. And, they, and they're very generous on the portions. But it's called the hand pool noodle. If you're ever in Harlem, hit them up. We went and visited. We call it the brownstone or our brownstone. We don't own. I wish we owned brownstone. That's my goal is to own a brownstone one day. But our very first trip that we took in October of 2016, we stayed at a brownstone in Harlem. And I say, this is, this is where we fell in love. I know this is where I fell in love. Uh, and it was a magical New York experience, to say the least. We went to see it. Sadly, the brownstone is condemned. Bars and locks and notices from the city. It is unequivocally condemned. I couldn't see any furniture inside of it. And it, it saddened our heart a little because it's such a significant space to us. So to know that it's condemned and in poor condition. I mean, we still have our memory, right? It doesn't eat away at the memory we've created. But have to admit it's kind of unsettling to know that this place that is kind of like this hollowed space for us looks the way that it does because you know it houses it's the backdrop for our memory uh, so it's meaningful we don't want it and there's even like a we don't want it to sort of be you know dilapidated and there was even like a sign from like, because you know New York has a rat czar. You know, there's a little bit of a rat problem in the city. But there was a notice that was referencing something about a rat problem in the building. Look, we stayed there. There are no rats. It was, it was gorgeous. It was a gorgeous, gorgeous building. Gorgeous brownstone. That was owned by a very uh, cranky, unreasonable Frenchman. It was an Airbnb. So it was, I don't know. There was a bit of mourning, I guess, after uh, we learned about the present state of, of our brownstone. Uh, but we were happy that we were able to go and, and, and see it and allow us to uh, reflect and even sort of even, if you will, deeply, even more deeply connect with that space and that time in our lives. But anyway, we, we, we were over there and it was good to be in Harlem. Stop by the Schomburg. I always stop by the Schomburg Center for Black Culture, which is part of the New York City library system. Look, it's always something going on. I remember one time I went though, there was like nothing going on. They were like, look, nothing's going on. Uh, come back another day. But I like to go to the bookstore. The bookstore has a, a wealth of, of books written by black authors, black, black 
diasporic authors, I think it's important to note, um, about a number of black interest topics and even, excuse me, that was a burp, sorry. And even books that are not, oops, even books that aren't uh, in print are hard to find. You can find them there. I love that we found the Anita Baker pen. They sold a pen, like the pen that you wrote on your lapel. And it was reminiscent of Anita, which ironically, I'm looking at it right now. I didn't realize we have a Stephanie has a record player and she has the record on like this little mantle. So I'm looking at it now. But it is Anita Baker on the cover of Rapture. And, you know, she's kind of like sitting with her legs crossed, but she has like her knee up to her chin and she's got her eyes closed and she's got this like pensive look. Skin's glowing in this picture. And she's got the signature like Anita Baker you know, stack, if you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, we got a pen that looks just like that. <laughs> and it makes me laugh every time I see it. Uh, I also bought this really cool magnet. Yeah, we're, we're magnet, refrigerator magnet people. Uh, this one is a quote from Zora Neale Hurston, the literary great. It says, no. I do not weep at the world. I am too busy sharpening my oyster knife. I'm going to let you think about that. Those are some pearls, literary pearls of wisdom dispensed by the great Zora Neale and Harlem resident. The other thing about the uh, Schomburg, and I didn't know this. I did not know this until this time is that it's the home of the American Negro Theater. And this was, I mean, this was, yeah, I don't know, probably the first black, theater. it was called the Harlem's Little Library. So I guess it was related to the library as well. But you can go in there and see it it's, it's, on, it's in the basement i think we went down there and i was like are we i'm not sure if we're supposed to be down there it didn't seem like we were supposed to be down there but uh they allowed us yeah but some of the some of the greats harry belafonte ossie davis sydney poitier isabel sanford you know wheezy from the jeffersons ruby d helen martin Pearl from 227. If you know, you know. But anyway, it's still there. And uh, I don't know, that was... Best way I can describe it's kind of powerful to be down there and to know, you know, the people that grace this space. Uh, also, there was an a art exhibit that was showcasing the works from incarcerated folks from a prison in upstate New York. I was very impressed with the the quality of art that they were able to create with, you know, they don't have access to a lot of supplies. I wouldn't imagine that they do, but, you know, the things that they did with, you know, like boxes and cafeteria trays, um, toothpaste dispensers uh yeah a lot of i think it's just a lot of like significant art i think it's it's significant well only because it's interesting to look at but when you think about you know who created it what else can i say with that? okay i'm trying to think about everything about the schomburg um oh if you go you can ask somebody they're people who work in the front. Now, the, the people that day that were working in the front, they really weren't all that interested <laughs> in, in helping anybody. Um, but it, you can go. Well, you can't actually see it. I promise I'm getting to the point. I'm trying to Google something. 
Yes. <clears throat> he is buried. Oh, sorry. It is not. I was trying to figure out. I was trying to, I was trying to be smooth with it. Who is buried underneath or inside uh, the Schomburg? Okay, I'm going to look it up. Give me one second. And we're going to be wrapping this podcast up shortly. I didn't write it down. Okay, what? Who? Wait a minute now. I really want to say W.B. Du Bois is buried. I just need, I'm just looking for confirmation. Because I don't want to be out here telling people the wrong stuff. All right, who is buried at Schomburg Center? Ah, sorry, it ain't Web. It isn't. My mom used to say Web Du Bois. W-E-B Du Bois. It is not him. He is buried in Accra, and I knew that. Langston Hughes is whose ashes are buried underneath the Schomburg, which is spelled S-C-H-O-M-B-U-R-G. I know you're like, wait a minute, how? That sounds German. But the 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 man who the center is named after is of the African diaspora. Uh, but he is he has mixed race heritage. But you can go and somebody can show you where it is. And then there's this kind of mosaic above it um, that is... I think it's called like the rivers but they can explain to you uh its significance but yes go by the schomburg absolutely it's a it's, it's always you, know, you can spend a couple hours there um learning about black history and black culture the other thing we did go to the apollo which is a venerable black institution i used to watch showtime at the apollo with my parents on saturday nights at 10 30 was the last thing i could do Last thing I could watch before I had to go to bed because I needed to be in bed because we were going to church in the morning and we were probably like ironing our clothes and, you know, getting prepared for church the next day. But we used to watch it and I always dreamed of going. And even though I have been to New York a number of times, I hadn't actually gone inside. So I had talked to Stephanie about it. She's like, yeah, you know, heck yeah, we're going to go. So we went on Wednesday night. They do the talent night. It's not they don't do their showtime at the Apollo anymore. They don't do that taping. But they do an amateur night, and it was all white people. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that, but I was surprised. Um, and I found out that people in Harlem don't really frequent the Apollo Theater like that. I mean, there are big events that are hosted that you know people in the community will come out, but they don't come to this kind of thing, which I found was interesting. It was all European people a very specific kind of white people. They were all European tourists. Apparently it's on some list. They must got themselves on some list. Listen, I'm not mad at them. They can make some revenue that way. But, you know, it was so delightful to see the way people were enjoying it. Uh, The talent, most of the talent were uh, black folks, a couple of actually Japanese folks. But they were, you know, singing... um, music in the black tradition if you will and the production value was pretty good i was impressed with the production value of the show um and just just we're just all around entertained and they still encourage you to boo people that don't perform well we as a group were a little skittish about doing it at first and then you know which allowed a person that should have been booed to be able to stay but once we got the hang of booing uh we did boo a couple of folks you know who deserved it but there is, we didn't boo the kids. There, the kids go first and then the adults go second. Uh, but it was a good time, a good time. And there was this one moment, which was like this, I don't know, this image that made me think about the beauty of racial cohesiveness. There's a part of the show where the DJ allows people to come up on the stage 
And and I didn't say there weren't any black people. There were some black people there, but black people, white people, European white people would just go on the stage. Now, not everybody had the same sort of uh, rhythm. And I'm not suggesting that the white people from Europe didn't have rhythm, although a lot of them didn't appear to. But it didn't matter. It didn't matter who could dance and who couldn't dance. People were having a good time. And I think that's the thing that matters the most. People were having a great time. I go back and I don't know why people that live in Harlem have kind of forgotten about this. You know, we should keep these traditions. Make sure we keep these traditions alive. Support the Apollo Theater. Oh, oh, okay. So before I go, I, I can talk briefly about going to Canal Street. Uh, I, I, you know, I really talked up the dupe thing to my wife and she's like, well, let's, you know, okay, let's go. Let's go. So we'll see what's popping. And she did. And I think she really, it's kind of a, she got a rush. It was kind of a rush because it happens quickly. If you've ever bought, you know, dupes on the street over there on Canal Street, it happens pretty quickly. <laughs> but what was really funny is that I think she forgot that this is, you know, kind of like a quasi illegal thing that we're doing because, you know, we do hear about the big bust of dupes and the police. And I don't know when they enforce it and when they don't because the police were everywhere and people were buying dupes in plain sight of of the police. So it wasn't an issue that day. But also I, I wanted her to take heed to my warning that hey we gotta be we gotta be quick with it. Figure out what you will go, what you want and we go. So she was, you know, there were times where she wanted to kind of peruse through the merchandise and, you know, discuss with the the vendor. And they're just really trying to just move this stuff. It's just kind of, look, it is what it is. No need to talk about it unless, you know, you want to negotiate. So that was kind of it in a nutshell. But we were able to come away with, I got this really cool Gucci dupe watch. It's just that. My massive wrists are too big. So it just kept popping off and it popped off and fell onto the concrete and cracked the damn screen. The the watch is dope. So I'm going to have to like buy the real one or maybe find another dupe. I don't know. But it's a cool Gucci watch. Anyway, that that kind of I don't I don't have much time. Uh, I actually talked a lot more than I thought. And this podcast is going to be longer than normal. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. I felt like I had a lot of important things to say, a lot of helpful things to say. Hopefully, I was entertaining and funny. Uh, But I am going to go ahead and log off. I hope everybody has a great day. And stay warm. Bye.